With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Jamie All Over. Today's guest is Dr. Garth Davis. But before we get to the interview, I just wanted to come on and give you a couple updates. First of all, regarding the interview, it was done by Zoom and my track did not record. So I am using my audio from Zoom So I will not sound the way that I sound right now with my mic. We did speak about him coming back to do a part two, just because there's so many topics I would love to cover with him and go more in depth with him than I was able to do during this particular interview because I had zero notice that it was happening. I really like to do my prep and my research, but the only research I was able to do was what I had already known about him, which was a good amount. I've been following him for quite some time now. He is so filled with information. I love his Instagram page. He's a plant-based doctor, and we'll get into all of that during the interview. We had been trying to figure out a date to do the interview, and of course, he's obviously so busy, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, his day became clear. And I was like, I'm jumping at this chance because I don't know when you're going to be free again. So I will just wing it. If you've seen the documentary, What the Health, you might recognize him from that. I applaud him for just always speaking his mind and being so vocal and not letting anyone shut him up or shut him down. It was a real honor to have him on today's show. Speaking of vegan things... I would like to make a little announcement. I will be doing the first Jamie All Over live podcast in New York City on May 19th this year. It is going to be happening at the Vegan Women's Summit, which was founded by Jenny Stojkovic, who was a previous guest on the show. Highly recommend that episode. And she asked me to do a live podcast this year. It's the biggest summit that she's ever done. And for the first time, she's doing it in New York City. It's a three-day event, May 18th, 19th, and 20th. The 18th is going to be like a welcome party. If you upgrade your tickets to VIP, you can attend that party, which happens to be at the mayor's house. Eric Adams, who is a vegan mayor, which I love, is welcoming us into Gracie Mansion for the welcome party for the Vegan Women's Summit. Strangely, this will not be the first time that I'm at Gracie Mansion. When I lived in New York City years ago, I went when Bloomberg was mayor to a barbecue over there to meet him. I have a picture with him till this day. It will be nice to go back to Gracie Mansion a second time. This time, no barbecue in sight, much better circumstances. And then on the 19th is the actual summit. There will be thousands of people in attendance, all kinds of talks and a live podcast with me. And a very special guest that has yet to be announced, which, by the way, is welcoming non-vegans and people of all genders. So don't think you just have to be a vegan woman to attend. So if you want to get your tickets, I have a discount code and it's Jamie all over. And my final announcement before we get to the interview, 
We are so close to opening Sugar Taco number three in Long Beach and next door, our sister company, The New Concept, called The Plant Butchers, which is a plant-based butcher shop, deli. You can take meals to go. You can bring back ingredients to make plant-based meals at home. We have been working hard on this. We are almost ready to open our doors and have our grand opening party. But in addition to that very exciting news... There's a fourth sugar taco on the way, guys. Yes, I can't say exactly where it is, but it's so exciting. I will just say it is as west as you can possibly be, and you can see sand. You can see a boardwalk. You can see the ocean. It's incredible. So as soon as I have permission to announce that location, I will let you know. And that's coming by this summer, if not sooner. And if you haven't seen our Instagram recently, we decided to bring back a special that was very popular, the crispy potato tacos. They are now a permanent menu item. So we finally have a crispy taco on the menu, and these are amazing. We also brought back our al pastor, which is made from seitan, and we introduced a new topping, which is our pineapple salsa. So good. Best combination ever. You can get the al pastor in a protein bowl if you don't want it in a burrito or in a taco, but any way you have it, it's delicious. And without any further ado, here is Dr. Garth Davis. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Garth Davis, who is a plant-based bariatric surgeon. He deals with the causes, prevention, and treatment of obesity, and he is also the author of a book called Proteinaholic, plus one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jamie. Thank you so much for doing this. There's so much fighting going on on the internet today about what diet is the right diet. Everybody thinks they have all the answers. So I just wanted to bring you on to kind of clear up some myths specifically about protein and men. I hear a lot of men saying that they need animal protein to be muscular. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a myth. There's plenty of examples of people doing very well, whether it's Olympic weightlifters. In fact, the only American in the last Olympics doing weightlifting was vegan. And you could do all kinds of anecdotals, but there are some really good studies comparing different proteins and protein supplements and proteins that are plant-based seem to perform just as well as the animal-based proteins. There's been a lot of studies on how much protein do we need. And a lot of the top researchers out there have kind of come down to this figure of 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight as the maximum, any protein above and beyond that number doesn't seem to do any benefit. Oh, wow. But here's the thing. If you look at the studies of one gram per kilogram protein versus 1.6 grams per kilogram protein, the difference is minuscule. I mean, it's a small benefit to eat that extra, extra protein to really basically make your day about getting protein gives you such a small benefit. They're not going to notice a difference. And I'll tell you this, the studies on people that don't do resistance training, extra protein really doesn't seem to have any benefit whatsoever above and beyond, you know, the recommended daily allowance. So the recommended daily allowance is basically 0.8 grams per kilogram. Okay. So what is it? It's about 45 grams for female? So for a female, it's roughly 46 grams of protein a day. For a male, it's roughly 56 grams of protein okay. a day. That's the recommended daily allowance. Most people could probably live 
on 30 grams, but we're just being safe by saying 46. I probably average about a gram per kilogram at 80 grams myself and have been very successful putting on muscle and staying lean and being active without constantly drinking protein shakes and having to eat processed protein all the time in order to come up with this artificial number that has, I think, very little bearing on someone's quality of life. Yeah. And you look great. So thank you. So funny. I get in fights sometimes on the internet and I'm trying to not do this anymore. But Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> I know you do as well. In fact, you have quite a few accounts that are trying to impersonate you that have started following me. Yeah, sorry about that. They, they, <laughs> they're a disease I pass on and can't seem to stop. But yeah, I don't know why. They've taken all my pictures and created fake accounts all over the internet. So, so many. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, what do they want? Like, what are they trying to do? Trying but, to get you to give me money. So, oh, yeah. yeah. No one's asked but me don't. for money yet, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your plant-based journey? I know that you've been vegan for quite some time now, right? I have been. You know, it started really with me when I was in my 30s going to get a life insurance policy test, right? When my children were being born, I thought, okay, I got to get a life insurance policy test. I thought I ate healthy or really, maybe I didn't think that. I just didn't really think that food had a huge... It's weird now to even say it, but I just... Going through medical school and residency, you don't talk about food much. I just never really saw... It blows my mind, by the way. It does, right. And it's probably better now than it was when I went through it. And I was a weight loss surgeon, right? But I never really thought much about food. It was, oh, you've got hypertension, that's genetics. You got high cholesterol, genetics. There's nothing we can do about it except give you medicines or do surgeries, et cetera. And then I got my life insurance policy tested. I had really high cholesterol. I had hypertension and I had fatty liver. And I felt crappy and I looked bad. Go and talk to my doctor. And he's like, oh, I'm going to put you on this medicine, that medicine, the other medicine. But of course, I know how this goes. You know, I'm going to be on, you know, by the time I'm in my 50s, I'm going to pee on multiple different medicines. And at 35, I felt really old already. So I decided to really start looking at why do we get these disease processes and why are we dying of heart disease? And the more I studied, the more I was just awed by the fact that what we eat really matters and that what Western societies particularly are eating is basically filling up hospital rooms. So I started changing my diet. Of course, the more you start studying this, the more you learn about environmental factors and how the foods we eat affect the environment. And of course, then you get down to the personal, you know, how does it affect the animals? I mean, being vegan doesn't have so much to do with, I don't think you have to be vegan to be healthy necessarily. Mm -hmm. You can certainly be healthy eating some meat. Being vegan isn't a health choice necessarily. Eating a lot of plants is a health choice. So having a diet very heavy in legumes, nuts, seeds, starches, fruits, and vegetables, that I do for health. Avoiding meat, I do for more of the ethical and environmental factors. There's definitely in any of the healthy eating indices that we use in nutritional science, red meat and processed meat are definitely looked at as poor food choices. But fish and lean meats in moderation tend to still be healthy. I just think you could be even healthier by avoiding them. Yes. So getting back to my internet fights, I think we both share a common thorn in our side, which is this doctor, I won't name names, who says that plants are poisonous. And he's advising people to stop eating plants and to eat mostly meat. This wouldn't bother me so much if someone close to me, my mother, didn't believe him. And she has completely changed her diet and is avoiding plants. And I was like, with me as your daughter, I have plant-based restaurants. I've been vegan for so many years, vegetarian most of my life, super healthy. And yet she's listening to someone off the internet because- Yeah, it's, it's crazy. 
he's a complete nut. I don't, there's a few nuts out there, but I mean, it's just this weird kind of world that we live in now. That the louder you are, and the more sure you are, the more people tend to believe in it. And it should be the absolute opposite. You want a scientist who goes through the data, who understands the nuances, and can argue both sides. That's what people should be looking at, but that's not what. I mean, the guy you're talking to and referencing is a complete shyster. I mean, this is similar to the old day. Well, there's a few of them to the old day snake oil salesman. There's one of them that says that lectins, which are a basically a plant protector, but these lectin molecules that are found in plants can kill you. So therefore buy his pills that block the lectin receptors. It's just so dumb. Like, I can't believe people believe it. But here's the thing. If lectins are a problem, then beans would be a problem because beans are very high in lectins. And yet there's been multiple studies now looking at the number one foods associated with longevity. And the number one food consistently associated with longevity is legume consumption. In a recent study that just came out today, actually, looking at the databases from Harvard for the nurses health study and the health profession study, they looked at these healthy dietary indices. And the more plants you ate, the higher your score was as a healthy diet. Now, if plants were poison, the higher the score should make you die earlier, right? But no, the higher score actually had you live well longer than people that had a lower score. So the more plants someone ate, the longer they lived. And this has been shown in multiple, I mean, there's so much science that it's almost, it's like someone saying the earth is flat. You hear these people that believe the earth is flat. Same thing on saying you should only eat a carnivore diet. A carnivore diet is going to have very low fiber intake. So you're going to have a horrible microbiome, which is the new studies. There's been multiple studies on meat's effect on the microbiome and it isn't good. You're going to have high cholesterol. We've seen that countless times. A lot of these guys are like, okay, first they said it doesn't increase cholesterol, but now we've got studies that show clearly it increased cholesterol. They said, well, it's okay to have high cholesterol. That's the newest thing. that, And that's what yeah, mom is spewing to me too, that it's all a myth that high cholesterol isn't unhealthy anymore. I mean, that is, so <laughs> if you say that to a cardiologist, they would die. There's been multiple studies. We know in what's called Mendelian randomization. Basically, there are people that are born with genetics where they don't get high cholesterol. And guess what? They don't die of heart disease. Whereas we know people that have genetics of high cholesterol, they die of heart disease. Likewise, we know that people that are given medications to lower their cholesterol have less heart disease. There's been multiple studies. One of the best was done out of the Cooper Clinic in Dallas, where they took a group of people that didn't have any medical diseases except high cholesterol. Because you could have confounders, like you could say, oh, they had diabetes and that caused their heart disease, or they were overweight and that caused heart disease. So they followed a group of people, a large group, I think it was like 20, 30,000 people for upwards of 20 to 30 years, where their only factor was high cholesterol versus a control group that had low cholesterol. And just having that high cholesterol increased the risk of cardiac mortality astoundingly. I mean, there's no question that cholesterol affects heart disease. The problem is it does it slowly. So you're not going to see this immediate. So these guys are young guys. They're in their 20s doing these carnivore diets, 30s, and they've got high cholesterol. And they're like, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. They're not feeling it right now, but they will feel it in 20 to 30 years. I'm in full agreement with all of that. And before I became vegan, when I was vegetarian and keto was the newest thing, I always tend to try things, you know, I'm like, let's experiment and actually see what happens. And I had my blood taken before doing it, had my blood taken after just maybe a month after doing it. And I was eating a ton of animal fats, butter, eggs, cheese. My cholesterol skyrocketed to the point where the doctor was concerned. And as a vegetarian, my whole life, that was never an issue for me, high cholesterol. But on that vegan keto diet, it was. 
So this, again, and not to harp on my mother, but this is what she's on is not vegan keto, but straight keto diet now. And I think it's deceiving her because she actually did lose weight. She's coupled that though with intermittent fasting and going on two walks a day and cutting out simple carbs and sugar as well. So it's hard to say, is it just the keto or there's so many other factors that she has going on. But ultimately, I worry about her and her health. She's older. And I lost my dad to a heart attack. So I'm so concerned. And but she's so adamant on this actually working and being the correct diet because she lost weight. And I think that happens to a lot of people who do keto. So what exactly is happening? Well, I mean, part of the weight loss is water. So when you do keto, you get rid of your carb stores and we store our carbs with water. Anybody that starts does keto will tell you they pee a lot and they're getting rid of a lot of water. Part of that effect is water. Part of the effect we know from ward studies is actually loss of muscle. As you lose carbs and your body tries to generate carbohydrate for energy, it goes through a process called gluconeogenesis. And part of the substrate to go through the gluconeogenesis comes from protein. And we've seen that in my program here at the hospital. We have a VLCD ketogenic type diet, and we do very close monitoring of our patients. And we definitely see loss of lean body mass. So part of the weight loss is going to be muscle. Part of it is water. Part of it is um, when you go into ketosis, you're not as hungry, so you're not eating as much. And then the other factor you bring up, and we see this all the time. I mean, there's been some, there was an article recently, I think it was in Time Magazine, and one of them was like, is red meat bad for you? No, it's not. These new studies show that meat is okay for you. But when you look at those studies, what they do is they take people on the crappiest of crappy diet in the world, and then they put them on a healthy diet with some meat. So the meat looks like it's fine because they do better than their crappy diet. So basically, it's a straw man argument. They set up the straw man control, which is the typical American diet, cheeseburgers and milkshakes and french fries. And now they're putting them on some red meat with a salad, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, they're going to do much better in that diet. No one does this, but when you take the studies and you actually look at them, just doing that right now, looking at the supplement of a study to see what they were actually eating, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And people will just grab the headline, especially on the internet. And that's all they'll post and people believe it. And the general population doesn't even understand how to read a study. I myself will do really intensive research on things. And I'm reading like, who was this study backed by? And this is a conflict of interest, or this is based on five people. And like, it's when you actually read into it, you can kind of understand how do people know what to believe or what not to believe? You can use common sense. I like the things like the Blue Zones, National Geographic, did some of these things where they went to different parts of the world that were basically eating different diets than we eat, but had much better longevity than we have. And they looked at the different diets and obviously they're more of a plant-based diet than we eat. You could look at what they're eating, you know, whether it's in Okinawa, where it's soybeans and sweet potatoes, and rice, or Sardinian Icaria, where it's lots of legumes, tons of whole grains, lots of vegetables, or Costa Rica, black beans, rice, fish, very what little meat in all these places. Though? <laughs> Yeah, what Loma Linda, California. There? I know that they have a strong like community there, which is part of it. Yeah, Loma Linda, California is a really interesting one to study. I, that's one of my favorite groups to study because when you look at Loma Linda, California, they're interesting, right? So we could get to the science, but just without the science, here's a group of people that have different genes, right? So they're they're not genetically the same. So we can't say, oh, they're all the same. Like, you could say, well, the Okinawans all have the same genes, but here we have a group different genes. They're also all in the same community, so. You can't say, well, it's a, there's something in the water, there's something in the air, they're all getting the same 
affect. They all are part of the Seventh-day Adventist church, so they think the body's the temple of the soul. They tend not to drink. They tend not to smoke, and they all have interest in exercise. So it's a pretty good group of people that have homogenous lifestyles, but heterogeneous genes. And then you take the fact that they have been subjecting themselves to scientific inquiry for many years. Since the 70s, they've allowed themselves to be part of a very large database. And scientists have been able to look at that database and try to look at how then food affects health. And just the fact that they live on average 10 years longer than Americans should be enough to say, okay, well, they're doing something right by Melinda, California. And they're eating lots of plants, so the carnivores have got to be wrong. But when you look at it, what's interesting is they then broke down this group of people into those that eat some meat, those that are pesco-vegetarian, those that are lacto-ovo-vegetarian, and those that are vegan. And the ones that eat the least animal protein have the lowest body mass index, so the thinnest body, the least diabetes, the least heart disease, and the vegans and the pesco-vegetarians have the best longevity over time. And so uh, to me, that's one of the best studies ever for a more plant-based diet. Yeah. I found it so interesting. And it was ironic because I was with my mom driving to Lake Arrowhead, California, and we passed right through Loma Linda. And I was trying to explain to her about the blue zones and she just does not want to hear it, but I'm going to play her this episode. And I really hope I can talk some sense into her. Yeah, it's sad because she's really at an age where this is really important and the effects on Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that can be astounding. Give her the Alzheimer's solution by doctors, the Sherzai's. There are a couple that are neurologists that have studied the Lumalinda population very well and probably are just one of the smartest two scientists I've met when it comes to how diet affects Alzheimer's. And she should also look at the MIND diet which is the kind of new diet that's being looked at for dementia and Alzheimer's, which is, again, is a diet very high in fruits and vegetables. And in fact, if you look at the U.S. World Abuse Report, they just released their top diets. And that's not science. It's kind of expert opinion. But the number one diet is the Mediterranean diet. And number two is flexitarian diet. So the flexitarian diet is basically a vegetarian diet where, you know, once in a while, you break it, but for the most part, you're doing vegetarian. And if you look at the Mediterranean diet, the Mediterranean diet is extremely high in fruits, vegetables, beans, especially grains. There was a study called the Predimed study, which is the study that really put the Mediterranean diet on the map because it was used to show that a Mediterranean diet is excellent at preventing heart disease. And when they did some group analysis of that Predimed diet, they found that the real factor is how many plants you're eating. I mean, that is the protective factor is the fruits, vegetables, and beans. If someone is not eating the fish that usually comes along with that Mediterranean diet, would you recommend that they supplement with a vegan omega-3 oil? I do. I do think so. Not as much. That hasn't panned out as much for heart disease, though there's varying studies on that. But it has, from a neurological standpoint, I think you need those omega-3s. There's a lot of argument on this, but I take an omega-3, algae-based omega-3 daily. Yeah, me too. I take yeah. a, I can't take pills, but I take a liquid form and it's lemon flavored and I just pour a little in my water. Hopefully that's okay. And I, I drink yeah, it every day. Cool. Yeah. And then, you know, you want to supplement with, not supplement to me, I just like the taste of, of adding chia seeds and flax seeds to oatmeal and things like that. That gives you ALA. ALA has to be broken down to DHA and EPA for some of the benefits, which are the omega-3s we typically talk about. And we're not sure. Everybody seems to be different in whether they can convert ALA to DHA and EPA. And the uh, algae omega-3s are DHA. 
What do you typically eat in a day? It's usually oatmeal for breakfast or a whole grain bread with a little bit of peanut butter. Like this morning, it was Ezekiel bread with some peanut butter. I use the, what's it called? Justin's peanut butter, Mm -hmm. uh, organic peanut butter, and then banana and some chia seeds and a handful of blueberries. Lunch today was, I always have a starch. So today it was rice with, what were they serving up there? Brussels sprouts, a green salad, beets, a whole bunch of chickpeas. I always get beans in there. And that's my typical lunch. And then dinner is usually tofu-based, like a tofu veggie stir fry, something like that. Snack will be apple and some nuts. Nice. I don't supplement much with protein, even though I do lift weights, do athletics. Occasionally, after a workout, if I'm not very hungry, I'll make a smoothie with a protein supplement. Awesome. So I think I've seen you in a couple of documentaries. Yes, I've been in a few of them from the ground up. What the health? There's some other ones, but I forget. (laughs) Do you have any that you recommend? Do you actually recommend to your patients to watch anything? I mean, I don't really tell them to watch. I mean, any documentary is going to be somewhat biased, right? And a little bit sensationalized. I mean, they got to be. If they were true science-based documentaries, they'd be a little bit boring. If the whole movie was just about me, it'd be pretty boring because... You know, I'm not going to tell you absolutes, right? I'm not going to tell you, you got to go vegan or else you'll die. And I'm not going to tell you the sensational things. Like if you go vegan, it's going to cure every single problem you've ever had. But at the same time, I think a lot of them have had really good messages. I really liked Food, Inc. That was kind of one of the first movies that got me thinking about where our food comes from. Yeah. Seaspiracy and Cowspiracy are, are pretty good. I think What the Health does a great job. Just keep in mind that Yeah, it's a bit sensationalized. Game Changers is fantastic. I really like Game Changers. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like in Game Changers that they say you got to be vegan to be a good athlete. What they said is some athletes feel better on a vegan diet and on a vegan diet, they could still excel at a professional level. And I think that message is great. I love Game Changers too. And I especially love that they didn't hit it from a different angle. It wasn't slaughterhouse footage. It was very easily watched by anyone. And I think it piqued the interest of a lot more men because it was kind of performance and athletic based. They had a lot of pro athletes in there, Olympians, and they were just showing like, this is what happened to them and right. they, when they went plant-based. So absolutely. I love that one. I recommend that to any male who is asking like where to start. But this this whole like marketing plan, I want to call it by whether it was the dairy industry or agriculture, where men have this idea that they need to eat a steak to be masculine. I don't know. For me on the internet, I see that stronger than ever, especially with keto coming on and the paleo diet. Oh, it's huge right now. The meat industry is definitely threatened dairy industry especially. So they're very active in trying to put out this message that soy will cause man boobs, which is ridiculous. I'd eat a lot of soy. I'd be in a bra if that was true. Um, it's like a phytoestrogen, but it's not It's actually, a phytoestrogen. Yeah. So it's right. not actually doing anything. It works as a, on a different receptor. And so basically it's a partial agonist antagonist. So it actually kind of blocks the estrogen receptor partly and could be very protective against breast cancer. And they've done a very good job of scaring people about soy, which is crazy because soy is such a healthy food. I mean, this idea that beef is good for you. They've funded a lot of these studies now. I told you before that have this kind of straw man control group where, of course, beef is going to do better than the crappy diet that people were eating beforehand, but they're not comparing themselves head to head. There was a head to head trial done by Kevin Hall where he put people in a, they did a crossover trial where 
I think there were 40 people. They did a vegan diet for two weeks and a keto diet for two weeks. And it was a fairly healthy both of those accounts. And so it was a pretty good study. And I thought it was pretty dramatic. There was more weight loss with the vegan group. The vegan group lost more fat mass than the keto group. So it's like I was telling you before, the keto group lost weight, but they didn't lose fat. The keto group became more insulin resistant. So they had a drop in blood sugar. People think a drop, people that don't have diabetes are monitoring their blood sugars. And it's just so dumb. You don't need to monitor your blood sugar. You're supposed to have fluxes in your blood sugar. And monitoring your blood sugar is just so unnecessary. But what people see is like, they're like, okay, on a keto diet, I had less high blood sugar. My blood sugar was lower over a period of time. Well, of course, you're not eating anything carbs. So there's nothing there to raise your blood sugar. But what you see with these people is they're becoming more insulin resistant. So now if you give them a carb, they're going to have a much higher jump in their blood sugar because they're now becoming insulin resistant. That was a huge finding. And interestingly, in that study, the vegans, because of the high fiber, were just as satiated as the, they were doing the vegan diet as they were on the keto diet. But there's not a lot of head-to-head trials like that. Usually the meat industry doesn't want that study, but that was an NIH funded study. So interesting. I have a couple of listener questions for you. Sure. The first one is from Roma B. And she's actually an awesome Instagram account because she goes around to all the different vegan restaurants around the country and reviews and rates the food. She says, I always hear from people snapping back saying that they won't eat the vegan alternative to cheese, yogurt, milk, etc. because of the chemicals and ingredients. Would love to know what to say back to them because I always find specific facts to compare but would like an overarching response that's nutrition-based if possible. Yeah, it's interesting because people are so worried about chemicals, but they don't realize there's chemicals in everything, right? I mean, there's chemicals in meats. Same idea with the estrogen we were talking about. Like, yes, soy's got phytoestrogens, but chicken has actual estrogen, you know, a lot higher estrogen level than soy. There was a good study looking at, and I can't remember if it was beyond meat or impossible, But at Stanford, they compared, I think they gave people, I can't remember the the whole setup, but I think they gave people two burgers a day and it was either regular meat or it was beyond burger or impossible. They looked at different risk factors for cardiovascular disease, LDL cholesterol, things like that. And they actually saw a benefit towards using the plant-based alternatives rather than the actual meat. So despite this like, oh, there's chemicals in there, they tended to do better with the plant-based meats. I mean, the key is a whole food plant-based diet, right? You want as much whole foods as possible. So you want as much fruits, vegetables, beans, nuts, and seeds. I do eat Beyond Burgers and Beyond Brats and things like that, but it's a minority of my diet. The majority is whole food plant-based diet. That being said, I do think these plant-based alternatives are superior in health, even with these chemicals that people are so worried about, than the actual meat alternatives. This actually leads into the next question from Christina Brown. Do you have any favorite plant-based protein options? I know you mentioned tofu. If someone's in I mean, I like tofu and tempeh a lot. Uh, Tofu takes on taste really well. So marinating tofu is great and air frying it with a little bit of cornstarch and you've got just great things. If I'm making something like I like the garden meatballs, if I'm making a pasta, I like, I love the beyond brats. So sometimes I just want, you know, you want some brats from back in the day Uh of uh, eating that kind of stuff. It's game day. I'm watching football and do some brats and sauerkraut and mustard. And they do a good job with that. But again, those are like my, I'm not going to call it cheap meals, but those are my less healthy meals. I mean, it's not like I'm eating that thinking, oh, I'm being healthy. 
I'm eating that thinking I'm not contributing to as much to climate change and water loss, and I'm not torturing an animal. That's more of an ethical decision. Yeah. I mean, just the water alone that it takes to produce a hamburger, I think it's something that if you were to visually fill up, and I could be wrong, but I think it's like if you filled up your bathtub 53 times, that's how much water it takes to produce one hamburger. Right. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And, and no, no one sits and thinks about that. They just eat their burger. But I sit and think about that. So when I'm eating my broths, I feel better about it. Yes, yes. Field roast also makes some good ones, too. They have like Field an sausage. They have an, I think they have an Italian sausage as well, which is pretty legit coming from an Italian girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had field roast turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, nice. Of turkey. Yeah, it was good. Is your whole family vegan or just you? No, I'm the most, I'm the only vegan, but the rest are vegetarian. I mean, my kids will, they'll stray from time to time, but in the house, they're eating plant-based. They don't really have a choice. Gotcha. Okay. So Jenna Miramontes wants to know, what are your thoughts on seed oils? And my dogs are barking. So hang on one second. (laughs) That's okay. His name is Batman. And the other one is Harley Quinn. And Harley lives up to her name. She is the troublemaker. She's the one taking him on right now. Okay. What kind of dogs are they? They're tiny. So Harley's like a part Chihuahua, part Terrier, and Batman is Chihuahua, but I think he's mixed with something else. My business partner found him on the streets in Hollywood. He was like a street oh. dog. So we don't really know what he is. Streets of Hollywood. He's a tough guy. He is. Seed okay, oil. so seed oils. In general, they're not nearly as bad as people think they are. There's been quite a few studies on this. I don't particularly love oils to be heated above a smoke point. Can't what get happens then? Like I know it, it'll burn. You, you could get an oxi- You get oxidized fats, okay. um, which could create more reactive oxygen species and inflammation, things like that. The seed oils have been such a huge debate over time. It started with this idea that the more omega six to omega three you have, the higher the inflammation. Mm-hmm. And seed oils tend to have higher omega six. And so it was therefore thought that they must have more inflammation. And in the vegan world, because some of our doctors that really started the vegan movements, such as McDougal and Esselstyn, were just anti any oil whatsoever, even olive oil. And it was based on a really old study, one study, really old study that was looking at how a blood vessel squeezes and relaxes after different foods. And they found that after oils, it stayed kind of squeezed like it does with meats. But that study has since been redone and didn't show that same thing. And there's been multiple studies showing that people consuming olive oil actually are healthy. Olive oil is not really a seed oil, but it kind of gets lumped in those things. But olive oil is extremely healthy and it does have a higher omega-6, omega-3 fatty acids. So my recommendation in general is don't do a lot of oil. I mean, again, we're trying to eat mainly whole food plant-based. Um, when I make a salad, I use vinegar. I will eat an olive rather than olive oil, but occasionally I'll put some olive oil in my cooking. How do you feel about coconut oil? Not as good about coconut oil just because it's got higher saturated fat. Now, the saturated fat it has is not exactly the same as the saturated fat you get in meat products. So the saturated fat in coconut tends to have less of an effect on cholesterol then does saturated fat in meat, but it still does have an effect. And I would try to avoid it if possible. Occasional use of it isn't going to kill you, but people putting it in their coffee on a daily basis, some people putting butter in their coffee on a daily basis is just crazy. Interesting. Okay. 
so many just varying opinions on the internet as far as like the MCT oil and, you know, putting the butter in. The yeah, milk. MCT oil's a little bit different. It's a medium chain triglyceride. It's not going to affect your saturated fat as much. Um, it can be utilized by the cells for energy. And so it's probably okay. I just question the need for it. Everybody's trying to look for this magic hack or supplement when the real magic hack is just eat natural foods in their natural form. Right. You don't need to add these medium chain triglycerides and add a CLA uh, supplement and just don't need to add all of those. I think if your diet is deficient, adding like, for instance, we talked about omega-3 fatty acids in algae oil is fine. I just think adding extra oil is not necessarily healthy. It's definitely an increase. It's a calorie bomb, with a high calorie density in oil. So I just think it should be used as a, at a minimum. So I got into a bit of an internet war on plant-based news on their Instagram page, there was a meat eater who was visibly obese talking to a vegan. And the meat eater was just really adamant about he's got the best diet. He loves eating his meat. He's never going to stop. And I made a comment, which I have since deleted because it invited hundreds, if not thousands of comments back to me. And it was very divided. So I said something to the effect of, I would not take nutritional advice from someone who looks unhealthy. And maybe less than half of the people were like, well, you're body shaming. You talk about someone being obese. There's this fine line of like, are you shaming them? Or are you making them feel worse? Where do you fall on that scale? Because you deal with it in a professional way every day. Yeah. You kind of have to walk a mile in a lot of these patients' shoes. There's, you know, obesity is much more complex. It's not a willpower issue. It's not necessarily a choice. I have known many a healthy eater who is obese. They've got a very slow metabolism. This has been since birth. They are hungrier than other people. They tend to overeat based on hormonal issues, which is why some of our hormonal treatments work so well. And so I've definitely known people that have been very health, that are very health conscious, that have been done their best to stay healthy that are still overweight. So I don't want to judge them. It would be like, you know, someone has breast cancer and they're talking to you about what to do to prevent breast cancer. And you're like, but you have breast cancer. So it's your fault. And it's not their fault. It could be any number of things. And so, you know, part of me is very sympathetic to the fact that you can't judge someone just by the cover. But I also am a little bit, you know, we've become a little bit we definitely should never fat shame, but we should also realize that obesity is a disease, that that disease should be treated and that that disease can have definite health effects. Obesity is kind of interesting because you could be obese and have no medical problems whatsoever. It really depends where you carry your weight. So if you've got superficial weight, so we say like some patients are, we call them pear-shaped. So most of the weight is in the bottom of the legs and they might not have any metabolic diseases. Whereas we could have someone who doesn't weigh as much as them. I could have a 500 pound woman that has a pear shape and has no diseases at all. Now that fat is still unhealthy. It still secretes inflammatory markers that will eventually affect their health. Not to mention just the force of carrying around that much weight. But I could have a guy who is 230 pounds, but all that weight is in the belly. And he's got diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, and all these different things. So where you carry the weight is another matter too. But I do think we need to understand that obesity is a disease, that that disease does affect health. I really don't think fat is healthy. I think that you want to be as low a weight as is healthy with a healthy diet, not an artificially low weight through eating disorders. But I definitely think we should favor 
as lower weight, but we should also understand that someone who may not be at what is an ideal body weight may be trying really hard to get there. And we should respect that fact that it may be harder for them than others. Yeah. And in fact, I listened to one of your talks recently in preparation for this, and it gave me kind of a new perspective because, you know, you always hear people say, oh, well, genetics plays a factor. And I've admittedly dismissed that a lot, but I've learned through you that, no, that's a real thing. And it's It's a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. And, you know, it's interesting because when we start using these new medications we have, I mean, some of my patients, they take one shot. They're like, oh, my God, I feel like a different human being. Wow. Like, I am just not, I'm not like this unbelievably food hungry, food driven person anymore. That speaks powerfully to the fact that this goes beyond willpower, right? The shot has nothing to do with your brain and your willpower and your goal setting and whether you're lazy or not. The shot is a GLP-1 hormone agonist that is acting at satiety receptors. And we know from the studies with the GLP-1, as soon as you give someone a placebo, they're still giving them the shot. All of a sudden, the weight comes back on. So that hormone is having effect. So they've got a defect in that GLP-1 hormone that you don't have. And that's why they're overweight. In MRIs, it shows that their brain lights up differently. If you show someone who's overweight, like a hamburger, their brain lights up like crazy. Like, I want that. Whereas I could show someone else. If you show me a hamburger, my brain's going to be like, yeah, I don't really want that. There's a deficit of dopamine receptors in the brain of people that are overweight. There's, you can go through all these different physiologic differences that they have, but it goes well beyond just eat less, move more, which has been the typical thing an overweight person has been told. And it's really sad because it, it really ignores the fact that this is a disease process. Thank you for all of the information. And sure. you've enlightened me on a lot of things as well. And I love that. Normally at the end of an episode, I will close out with a song that either was mentioned or brought up organically, but we did not talk music at all. So I have to ask you, who do you love? What's your favorite song or favorite artist? Mm, There's so many different ones. I listen to a lot of country. When I operate, I like country music. Okay. And country music just calms me down, but I also like that it tells a story. Mm-hmm. And I was explaining to my daughters the other day because they're so, I can't wait until I do this or I can't wait until I do that. And uh, there's a song by Trace Atkins, You're Gonna Miss This. Okay. You're gonna wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. It's about living in the now Okay. and enjoying life. And I don't know if you saw my post yesterday where I was telling the story about climbing the mountain and it's about the journey rather than the destination. Yeah. And you got to appreciate that journey. And so that song has been playing in my operating room lately. I love that. And you know, I'm a big fan of emo music. I don't know if you know what emo is, but... I know what emo is, yeah. So basically, country is farm emo. (laughs) It's farm emo? I would never think of country as farm emo. It tells a story, too. Emo does? It's about the same thing when you break it down, when you break down the lyrics. I always think of emo as mainly... Is there lyrics with emo? What, of course, like, that's like what's a, what's an emo song? I was thinking of like uh, like EM, like the electronic. Oh no no no, that's EDM. That's, okay, that's torture. I hate EDM. The emo worst. is My Chemical Romance. If you've heard of okay, that. I like My Chemical Romance. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw you said I saw you had something. Didn't you see? Because you said that you love Dashboard Confessional. Yes, I love Dashboard Confessional. Do you? I do. I love them. They're awesome. Wow. I have a whole new level of appreciation for you now. 
It's my favorite. Yeah, I like those uh, 90s bands and things like that. So listen, was Dashboard Confessional 90s or early 2000s? Early 2000s. Well, he started late 90s, but they kind of hit when he went off on his own or he kind of hit when he went off his own. I think he started in like 2001 with his first album and then they got really big like around 2003. And I've pretty much been listening to them for 20 years, which makes me feel really old, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm there with you. So, uh, no, I, I love them too. Okay. I get that's called emo music. That's I never emo, yeah. And dashboard has been called the king of emo. So he's like the epitome quintessential emo band. So, you know, emo and you like emo. So I would think that, um, Depeche mode would be, mm. no, that's, but they were totally like, emo. Maybe. Maybe. No? Maybe. Uh, there was that one about suicide. God's got a sixth sense of humor. Very emo. Yeah. <laughs> was, that, was that Michael Hutchins? Was he the singer? No, he was in excess. In ex- um, oh, that's why I'm so confused right now. Okay. Gotcha. No, Depeche Mode. Okay, now you're younger than me. So Depeche Mode, you may not know that well. I don't think I'm familiar. I, I know, like, I've heard of that name, but I don't know that I can name a song from them. So now. Okay, I'm so you've got to, you got, and the cure. Oh, yeah, abs. They are total emo before yeah. emo is emo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, but you should listen to Blasphemous Rumors by Depeche okay. Mode. Blasphemous, okay. so emo. I will put that on right after this. And okay. we will play your country song. Trace Atkins. You're going to miss this. It is such a good song. You got to watch the video. <laughs> I will. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find the real you? The real me is Dr. Garth Davis. If there's a blue check, it's me. If there's not a blue check, it isn't me. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Take care. Thanks, Jamie. She was staring out the window of their SUV, complaining, saying, I can't wait to turn 18. Said I'll make my own money And I'll make my own rules Mama put the car and park out there in front of the school And she kissed her head And said I was just like you You're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back You're gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast some good times So take a good look around You may not know it now But you're gonna miss this Before she knows it She's a brand new bride In her one bedroom apartment And her daddy stops by He tells her it's a nice place She says it'll do for now Starts talking about babies And buying a house Daddy shakes his head And says baby just slow down Cause you're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back You're gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast Miss this. 
26, one's 23. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but you're gonna miss this. You're gonna want this back. You're gonna wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times. So take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're gonna miss this. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.